Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. It's Kirsty and Isaac here. And this podcast was developed by and for Amazon sellers to highlight the very best strategies on how to grow your Amazon business and also to get valuable insight from sellers to illustrate the ups and downs of selling on this awesome platform. Now, last episode, we talked about my journey with Amazon. So we thought, you know what? One good turn deserves another. So now it's Isaac's turn which is a very little known story, I feel. I feel like I've told my story quite a lot lot of times. So it's good to hear this from, from Isaac to explain how the Amazon business transformed his life as well. So this week, I'm going to be speaking with Isaac about his journey in the Amazon business and how he got started. He's also going to tell you how he's seen some extreme highs and some crappy lows just with Amazon, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> it's ruined my life. <laughs> and how to overcome them all as well. So, hey, Isaac, how's it going? Hello. A little odd to uh, be the second person talking instead of the first person talking. So it's it's kind of a nice change of pace. I usually stutter a bunch and have to edit a bunch of stuff. I know. So I get to uh, turn the tables today, so, which is which is really cool. So yeah, I don't think a lot of people know what your journey was. So maybe you can just start us with you know, what, what was life like before you discovered Amazon? You were a bit younger than me, so you've got more time to uh, to have some opportunity around it as well. <laughs> you weren't yeah. as desperate as what I was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, I feel like I got into it late and then all these people that are like, you know, the 20, early 20s were like set up really well to be like massively successful for the rest of their lives. But yeah, so obviously I, I grew up in uh, Billings, Montana. Well, I was born in Billings, Montana, actually. My parents separated when I was very young, five, I think I was five years old. Uh, my mom moved to North Dakota. My dad moved to Portland, Oregon. So living with my dad in Portland, Oregon for a couple of years, went back to live with my mom in North Dakota, graduated high school from there, knew full well that I wasn't going to stick around Mandan, North Dakota for the rest of my life. No, nothing to say bad about it, but it's cold as hell there in the winter, like minus 100 degrees some days uh, with the wind chill. Uh, it's hot in the summer. It's very humid. So it wasn't my favorite place to be. I hated shoveling snow. I hated driving on ice. So I went back to, to college at uh, the University of Oregon. I was actually going to study law and I was going to be a lawyer. That was my dream job. That's what I wanted to be. I like to argue. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that I like to argue uh, about dumb stuff and generally it leads to fights and, <laughs> and, and late night anger management issues, but whatever. But uh, yeah, so more though, right? Clearly, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less so these days, for sure. But it, every once in a while, it gets gets perked up. But you know, wanted to go to law, uh, law school. So you know, I heard that the University of Oregon Law School is good. I also lived in Oregon. Was pretty pretty fond of it. So went to Eugene, Oregon. Went to school, got my uh, history degree, uh, my major in history, minor in political science because they didn't have a pre-law program. So that was kind of the pathway. They kind of built this pathway. So take these programs and these classes and you'll go through and that'll be a good law, like law school uh, program. Took my LSAT and everything, applied for law school, waited a year actually to get in-state residency. Turned out I'd actually forgotten to sign one page on like a 14 page application. So they didn't uh, send my grade transcripts from the University of Oregon, which was on the corner of, of the law school. It was like literally like 
600 feet away from each other. So I had to sign a piece of paper that said that they could release my transcripts from there to there and uh, missed the signature somewhere somehow. Waited for about four months before I called them because they said that they'd only contact me by direct mail or phone call to let me know one way or the other. But it turns out they sent an email that went straight to my junk folder that said, hey, you forgot to sign this. Like, let us know, sign this, let us know, and we'll get, we'll get this done. Comes April time. I, I submitted this like January 3rd, like the second day that it could be submitted. And uh, call them up and I was like, hey, what's going on with my application? I haven't heard anything and it's already April. I feel like it's, it's acceptances are probably already done. They're like, well, actually we've got one, one spot left. And uh, all the preview, or the screenings, the interviews are all booked. But if you, you know, overnight this grade transcript from a block away to over here, um, we can try to see what we can do. So I had to literally go down, take like two hours to get this all done. And at the time I was working, I was, I was a broke college kid, right? Like I wasn't making t- much money at all. And I had to spend like 50 bucks just to overnight this thing. And I was like, man, is it even worth it? Like $50. But I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. It's 50 bucks could mean the difference between getting a good job in the future and not. So I did it. And uh, lo and behold, I called back the next day. I said, yeah, did you, you know, obviously, did you get my transcripts all right? And they're like, yeah, unfortunately, the last position in the program. So there's like 186 people they could accept something like that. And they're like, we filled them all. And I was like, you sons of bitches. So I'm just thinking, why did I waste my time? You should have just told me it was pretty much inevitable, whatever. So I was like, so there's nothing I can do. She's like, well, you can reapply next year. And I literally told her on the phone, I said, I'll find a different way to make a million dollars. And I just hung up. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not, I have no idea what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but I guarantee you, I'm not going to sit around and just mope about this. I'm going to use this as like an inspirational story for myself. It's like, you know, you, you guys screwed me, even though it was probably my fault because I didn't sign this thing. But I was like, you, you, you failed me. So I'm going to go out and try to make something of myself. So, you know, I was working at a grocery store for probably about another six years after that. So I grew up working in grocery stores, got to the point where I was like a manager in charge and making decent money for my age. You know, I'm like 23, 24, making $35,000 a year or something like that. And that's pretty good money. Nobody, none of my friends were making anything like that. So felt pretty good, but I was like, I can't do this forever. I had some friends here in Las Vegas and went to go visit him one time. And I was like, oh man, I love Vegas. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't think I could live here. Just like every tourist always says, oh, it's, but for me, it was like, I just party too much because I kind of like to hang out and, you know, go out and do stuff and party. Um, so I was like, oh, it'd be, it'd be bad. But literally I came back a couple more times and um, eventually one of, uh, one of the, the roommates or one of my friends was like, hey, our roommate's moving out. So would you want to come move here? I was like, no, nah, there's no way. I'm never going li- to, I'm never going to live here. Plus I can't just leave my job. Literally got back to Oregon uh, I was working at, as at like 60 plus hours, probably closer to 80 hours a week. I was almost waking up, going to the store and leaving at like 10 p.m. So it was like 6, 6 a.m. waking up, 7 p.m. start work, 10 p.m. leaving work. So that was every day, six, six to seven days a week sometimes. And uh, so I was like, I got back. I was like, just got off of vacation. I was like, man, wasn't vacation nice? Wasn't Las Vegas nice? And I was like, within the week, I, I called my supervisor and said, Bill, I'm a... Uh, telling you, I'm giving you notice that I'm going to be moving to Las Vegas. And he goes, Oh, really? That's, that's cool. What are you going to do there? I was like, I don't know, but I just know I can't do this. Like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. He goes, he goes, I do the same thing if I was in your position. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> like, great. I was like, so I'll give you guys a month. I'll train my replacement, but I'm just leaving. I had no job lined up. 
all I knew is I could stay at a place. I had about a month's worth of rent and bills covered and packed everything up and moved down to Las Vegas and uh, started working, working for Nike actually was a department manager there doing okay, retail jobs, quit that job right as the recession hit in 2008, 2008 hit. So I'm like, it was literally October, first week of October. I was like, I'm quitting. I've already put in my two weeks done next week. Economy crashes. Nobody's hiring. Again, I didn't have a backup plan. I wasn't like, hey, I've got a, a job lined up. So lo and behold, I can't get a job like anywhere, especially anywhere that I'm qualified to work at. And I didn't really have a plan. So months go on, like a couple months go on. Uh, you know, I'm missing payments on stuff. They, rep- they repossess my car. I'm like, crap. I'm literally now stuck to a bicycle that I have that I bought for like $300. So that's my mode of transportation for like the next two and a half years is a bicycle. <laughs> Great shape. Uh, so I get a job from one of my friends who has a, uh, he's running a, a movie theater. He's a manager of a movie theater. I go from making about forty-five dollars to $50,000, somewhere in there, uh, at the last job I had, to making about $8.50 an hour. And so I was like, cool, this is the lowest point of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no car. I've got to ride a bicycle to work, to work at a job. And this is nine miles away, back and forth, like nine miles each. Do this for two and a half years at... I think I got in the, in the end, I was up to like $10 an hour or 10, 50 an hour, but literally least amount of money I've ever made since I pretty much started working outside of like high school. So I'm sitting there just thinking like, what is going on in my life? And uh, I actually watched the movie called Yes Man. And in that movie, he starts saying yes to everything because he wants to change his outlook on life. And essentially I started doing that. I actually took the advice, like, what have I got to lose? He's like saying yes to everything. I'm just like, Yes, whatever. Opportunity comes along, just say yes. So some of my friends, like I'm, I'm broke at this point. Like I don't really have money. Obviously, I don't have a car. I'm still riding a bike. But uh, people are like, "Hey, do you want to go out tonight?" I'm like, "I don't. I don't have any money." But I just started saying yes, and just these little things of like connecting with my friends again got me out of this like funk of like just being pissed off and angry about not having any money, riding a bike to work, and just being in a bad place. So then I actually met somebody who was hiring for another. A company it was actually a go-kart facility, uh, an indoor go-kart facility here in Las Vegas. And they're saying, hey, you know, you do a really good job here. Uh, I was wondering if you're looking for an, another opportunity, another employment opportunity. And I said, I'm, I'm always interested. Uh, I'll come meet you and we'll talk about it. So I got that job. Uh, it actually turned out that I met my wife there, my now wife there. She, she saw me walk in carrying my bike in and she saw my calves and was like, oh my God, he's so hot. Look at those calves. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was oh, she, it. she just saw you. <laughs> yeah, she only saw my calves. Uh, but yeah, so she, she, she got, we got to knowing each other, obviously it was her godfather that ran the, the, the go-kart facility. He was the one that hired me and he didn't really, wasn't really fond of me dating his goddaughter at first. We've obviously now we're married. He's, we're good friends and, uh, we enjoy each other. Like we'll, we'll go golfing and stuff like that and have a cigar or whatever every once in a while. But First, you pretty much like, you got to find another job. I was like, crap, I just got this job. Now I'm out of a job just because I wanted to date this girl. But all things worked out in the end. And I kept kind of keeping my, my, my yes attitude going. And uh, at some point, uh, you know, there was, there was, I was working in this go-kart facility. I got promoted to an operations manager of one of their other facilities in town. And I met a guy who was basically selling on Amazon. And we kind of became friends because I was teaching him how to run the go-kart track faster and faster and basically training him how to become a racer. And for his, you know, for that, we kind of bonded, started going out to like bars and and casinos and just hanging out in our free time. 
And he's telling me about the Amazon thing. He's like, you know what? You should come work for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to say no to the idea of an opportunity. So I'll hear you out. I don't really know what you do. I don't even know if it's legal what you do. Um, so let's sit down and have a conversation. So he showed me what he did. Um, he had a little couple of people working with him at the time, um, you know, customer service basically showed me his products and how he did it and everything. And I was like, doesn't seem very hard. Like, why do you need me? He's like, well, I don't want to do the day-to-day stuff anymore. And you're really good at running operations. That's why you're the operations manager. So no experience in Amazon whatsoever. We decided to basically kind of do this partnership. Now he's paying me a salary, but the salary is much better than what I was being paid. I went from basically dollars $36,000 to about $45,000, which was getting me back on my feet. And then I kept getting incrementally higher as I was growing his business for him. And it uh, turns out that he was one of the business partners with Matt Clark in an Amazon business. So Matt Clark from Amazing Selling Machine, he was actually, I was actually running parts of their business. So between Paul, who was the, the guy I knew, and Matt, I was running different projects for them and running their Amazon business to help it grow because I was the operations guy. So I quickly found out how to basically run a business that was doing more than $300,000 a month in sales on Amazon to make it profitable and to actually run the operations. Now, the scary thing was I literally said, yes, we got an office, we got everything booked up and I hadn't even started yet. The day before I was supposed to start, I was supposed to start on a Monday, my first day. On Sunday night, Paul, Jason Katzenbach and Matt Clark's businesses, or their seller accounts all got shut down uh, because they got tied together somehow. And Amazon said it was some review manipulation scheme or whatever. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, I've just quit my job. I've got no job because you have no business now. I am absolutely screwed. And I thought to myself, like, uh, now I've got to go beg for my job back after I just quit. <laughs> and I actually brought one of my friends over with from that same company to work with me as well because I trusted him. And so we are now both thinking, man, we're absolutely screwed. We're, gonna, we're basically back to zero. But Paul was was one of these guys that very resilient. He was like, I'm not going to take this as the end. I'm going to redo this. So what I need you guys to do is help me develop the plan to get it all back. And not only did we get it all back, by Christmas that year, we were doing $500,000 a month. And you know, seeing $180,000 disbursements come in, we're like, this is freaking awesome. So you know, we, 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 we were running multiple businesses that were and building these brands from even from scratch, some of them to over a million dollars. So in, in basically in an, an eight month period from April to December, we took something that was had to be done, redone from scratch. Now the products were still there, but a lot of the stuff was torn down. Like the listings had come off or the, the reviews had come off the listings. So it was, it was a lot of, of it was starting from scratch and we had to learn some processes. It was, it was just quick learning. Like there is no room for not learning. And so that's how it ended up being. So that was the journey for me getting into Amazon that I, I hadn't even started selling my own products yet. That was just like, this was my education. It was like fire or nothing. Like <laughs> you're either going to lose this job and then have nothing, or you're going to figure out how to make this and then really do something with it. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty unusual, right? Because I don't, I don't really know anyone else who has, who has done it that way. A lot of people yeah. like me, you know, you learn about the opportunity and then you do the course and then you kind of figuring it out. But, you know, I had some training. There was some, well, Matt Clark and Jason. Yeah. Probably in terms of what you guys did, that's what ASM was built on, right? So, originally. So, 
And I think it's a really cool way to learn it because you're working with someone that already knows it. It's their business. It's their livelihood. It's, you know, it needs to work, right? You're getting a baptism of fire, basically, because it's like make or break for you because you have to make it work. And it just, you've also got, you also had some money to play with as well because he he needed to make sure that that business worked yeah. and he needed to make sure that it worked quickly. So you're able to test quickly. You're able to like do a lot of things and be a lot more aggressive, I think, which is great. I think because that, and that's what I think comes through in, in, in our coaching as well is that, is that kind of not aggressive to the point of wasting stuff. It's more about knowing you can do it, knowing that you can actually be aggressive and beat the competition yeah. as well. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people, obviously, you know, I was still young at the time. I was probably about 30 at the time when I started doing this. But I think that the, uh, the idea here was that, you know, I was uncomfortable because I didn't think I was going to have a job every single month until we got this thing back up. Right. Yeah. So if, if, I, if I came in and it was a comfortable position and it was like this, this thing, all I had to do was kind of slightly grow it. I probably wouldn't be here right now where I am today. I would just be doing that job. But because I had to learn so much so fast and because it was so uncomfortable, it was, there was risk for me. Uh, it wasn't financial risk as far as me putting out the capital because at that time I didn't really have capital saved up. But the idea was that if I didn't get it to work, I'm back out now looking for another job that I probably wouldn't want to do any more than this job. Like this job was actually fun to me. And so that uncomfortability really, I think, kind of pushed us to being more successful faster. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, so, I mean, how long did you work with um, Paul for? So Paul and I were working together, I think it was about two and a half, almost three years. We'd actually developed a training program on how to source from China together. That was called Sourcing Profits. And basically, I started to find that I had this knack again for educating and training and teaching because I'd already kind of done that like in the past with different things that I didn't because I was a manager. I'd help people get trained. I would educate. I'd even help people learn how to play instruments because I play music and all this other stuff. So I had this always knack for like helping people learn things and teach people and educate stuff. So when we actually built that training program, I was like, all right, so that training program did over a million dollars in sales in nine months. And I was, I, I, I created it, but I wasn't the owner of the business. So Paul and another guy named Goer were actually the owners of that business. They split the profits, I got a little residual um, income from that, like a, uh, like a commission, basically, or not even a commission, like a royalty fee, basically, the closest thing to it. Um, I made some money. I was most money I'd ever got. I got like a $12,000 check. I was like, that's great. I've never seen a $12,000 check in my life. But it got me thinking like during that whole time, I was trying to help people and people were like reaching out to like understand how to do this business. And I got really passionate about that. And literally two weeks after I told Paul, I was like, look, your business is going to be fine. I basically completely outsourced myself from your business. Like I've, I've trained everybody in my place, like in the Philippines to do my job for you. You're paying me now just to sit here for you. So I think it's best for your business and, you know, best obviously for me that we just part ways. I'm not going to work for you anymore. And two weeks after I said that, we actually went to an entrepreneur camp called Camp Averick, where you and I met. And, and Paul met and we met and Amanda was there as well. And we got to talking and we we're talking about this mastermind that we were talking about thinking, think about doing. And um, yeah, so then we brought you into the mastermind and we started doing that. Me and Paul went to Australia for four or five months and I came back and we, me, you and him had a bit of a, uh, a workshop business together. We called it PKI Boot Camps. And then from there, it was like, you know, I started, I started selling myself, obviously. 
on my own business um, with my own brands. And I'm actually launching my second brand coming soon. And this whole thing was like, it was a great way to get an education while being paid for it. But at the same time, there was always risk, right? Because there's, there's, there's nothing saying like, Hey, I'm the, I'm the wisest guy in the world to help run your business for you. But we were doing a good enough job to where we could keep growing. And, and even when things got bad, I remember we actually sent in all of our inventory when I was working with Paul, uh, sent all of our listings over to Amazon Venter Central. We went from making over like $300,000 a month down to like around 90 or or $100,000 a month. So like way, because what they did was they like messed up all the listings. They, they retail, the retail team basically standardized all the listings. All of our conversion went away. All of our ranking was garbage. We went from selling 300 units a day on some products down to like three. And so we were just like, like, all right, like we gotta, we gotta change some things up. We gotta get out of vendor central. So if anybody's ever asking about vendor central, I just say, stay the hell away from it. Uh, it's like a disease. Uh, but yeah, so like all this other stuff, all these ups and downs. I remember, well, I guess I should let you ask me this question, but uh, I'll just tell you the costliest mistake I ever made was one day I was actually trying to do a variation. And this was back when nobody knew how to do variations. I was sitting there thinking confidently like, well, I see people like doing it. I see colors, variations and size variation. I'm going to try to figure it out. So it was for a supplement. And I was like, okay, well, we wanted a 60 count, 120 count, 180 count or something like that. And we wanted them all to be on the same listing. So that way people could just pick the size they want. The 180 count one was the really big seller. It was selling, I think, 100 units a day at $30. So whatever that is, like a lot of money, right? So $3,000 a day. Yeah, $3,000 a day. So $90,000 a month for just this product alone. Um, It actually got up to where it was doing $9,000 a day. And right as it got to $9,000 a day, I was like, all right, now I'm going to merge these together and uh, do the, the, the variation. And somehow I messed it up because this product had like uh, 700 reviews or 600 reviews or something like that. And I merged these together and all the reviews went away and all the sales went away. Mm. All the ranking went away. So we were, we didn't even get to page top of page one. We were just like bottom of page one, but we were getting this many sales. And um, literally just that, like if you look at just $9,000 a day, if you just kept going for another 30 days, that's $270,000 or something like that. That's, that's how big of a mistake that was. Paul and, and I, and we got on the phone. I was like, I have no idea what happened. I was like, I thought for sure he's going to fire me. But basically he was like, no, nah, this is, this is terrible. Like this is probably the worst case scenario, but we'll figure out a way. So this is, was the costliest mistake. One, one single day mistake that I ever made was basically a quarter million dollar mistake for that. Month. And was that the, just because, so did the reviews come back? You know, like when you, when you do that now and you, you kind of like, it takes a few days for it to all kind of like sort itself out. Yeah. So that's what I thought. But um, for whatever reason, it, it didn't assign the ASIN properly or something. And I worked with Amazon to try to get it done. And I messed something up so bad that even Amazon couldn't fix it. And the reviews never came back. They never came back. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially <laughs> that product died and we had to start from scratch on that product, which I mean, imagine just making $270,000 every month on a product and all yeah. you got to do is not touch it. So you've had some spectacular highs and some spectacular, yeah. <laughs> like major F-ups, I'll just say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, just kind of, but again, you know, what do you think would be your unique skill to essentially 
help you overcome that as well. But I think it's even worse actually when it's someone else's business at that yeah. point, right? Yeah, because if you it's feel you, sick to your stomach for sure. Yeah, because you're like, oh my god, like you're letting someone else down. When it's just you yourself, you can kick yourself up the bum. But yeah, I would feel like, oh my god, that, that's terrible. Yeah, so I think the the unique skill set that I kind of have is is I always look at everything as it's just a problem that needs to be solved. I everything's got a you know I mean I'm not I'm not talking like X files where you have to explain extraterrestrial stuff. I'm literally talking about real world stuff, right? Like everything has a real world solution. There's there's a reason why things happen. There's got to be you know everything's built on systems most of the time anyway. So you just got to figure out that thing that you know you got to change in the system that makes this thing start working. So it always kind of come back to like machinery, right? So there's a broken spring here. There's a broken cog here. You know, this lever's not working. Fix these things up and then this thing will just start working. So that's kind of how I always look at stuff. And we tell our members to, you know, look at things scientifically. Like, what's the problem? Provide some evidence. What have you done to try to, you know, fix this thing? So do some research on this. What are your numbers? Hypothesize how you possibly could actually fix this. And then just start doing it and testing it out, right? So I think you had mentioned that something a little bit about your your journey was like, you know, track these things, test these things, look at your numbers, see where you're missing things. And that's exactly what I did. So, you know, even in the worst scenarios, we were like, all right, well, what's the things that are causing us to not get there? Pinpoint those things, fix those things. Let's get this ship running again. And um, yeah, I think it was just, you know, I've always thought in my head, like, there's no problem that can't be solved. You just have to spend enough time and and money and manpower on it to actually get it solved. So, I mean, people got put on the moon, like exactly the same thing. For whatever reason, that this concept was always instilled on me is you can solve the problem. Just put your mind to it and figure it out. Um, And I think a lot of people just want other people to tell them the solutions. And that's I think, the problem no, for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I think that's the difference between like employee and an entrepreneur, right? Like when you first start your Amazon business or any business, you don't feel like an entrepreneur at that point, unless, you know, you've, I don't know, you're in Silicon Valley or whatever, right? And you're, yeah. you know, seeing investors or you're on Shark Tank, but you just, you feel like you're trying to make these things work. But uh, I know some people have sort of said to me, one of the hardest things for them has been about switching from an employee mentality to an entrepreneur mentality and the entrepreneur mentality being, I'm going to fix it. There is a solution versus an employee mentality is someone else is going to fix it. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's interesting that, that you say that because obviously you've got your own Amazon business now. Obviously we've got our coaching business as well, but even working in someone else's business, you still had the, it was like you treated it like your own business basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had to, because I knew that if it didn't work out, I was screwed anyway. Yeah. It's not like you're working some big corporate like me where you can kind of hide for a bit. Exactly. (laughs) So they find you out. Right. I mean, it was a partnership, but everything, I mean, essentially he hired me to run the business. So it was a partnership without me having stake in the company as an owner. Yeah, exactly. And then you quickly figured out, you were like, well, actually I don't really want to be, you know, working for someone else. I actually want to do this for myself and kind of get a piece of the pie for myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was when I really started becoming a seller myself was as, as, as just was like, you know what, the more money I make everybody else, the more money they make. That doesn't usually kick back to me. Like, yeah, I might get a little bonus here. But you think about building a company of, you know, three, four, $5 million over the course of a year or two, you'd think like, you know, you'd get some pretty decent amount of that if like you help grow that whole thing, right? And I'm not saying anything that, that, that was not part of our partnership agreement or anything like that or any part, part of my employment. But you still have these expectations, especially when somebody's saying to you, oh, yeah, we want to be partners, we want to be partners. And then you 
you, you look at all the money that's going in and then, you know, the, the ways that it gets spent and you're going, I wouldn't have done that. I could, I, I would have taken that money and done something better with it, built the business more, you know, done something more enjoyable, uh, spread it around or whatever. And then you just go, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not my business. I can walk away. I can actually walk away and I can do the way, do it the way I want. So really when I started selling, it was a challenge to myself to prove that I could do it myself. Cause I knew I could, it was just like, put up or shut up, like get your money out of your pocket and start this damn business yourself, go out and do it and show that, you know, people can do it. But what I did was I, I started working like 60, 70 hours in this business for, with Paul. And I started kind of resenting having to come in and do it for somebody else. So I always was like exactly the same thing. I didn't, ha- I'd never read four hour work week until like a year ago or a year and a half ago, but I had the exact same mindset Tim Ferriss did without me knowing anything about Tim Ferriss. He was like, do it for the lifestyle. Don't just, you, I was 30 something years old, 31, 32, something like that. I was like, there's no way I want to just sit here and grind for 60, 70 hours a week, every day in my life. I'm 30, 31, 32 at the time. I want to live my life. I just, I um, proposed to my wife shortly after. So we got married and everything. I'm like, I'm young. I want to enjoy my life with my wife while I'm not old and retired. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving out. Basically, I'm going to do it my own. And that's when I started growing my Amazon brand for lifestyle. And I didn't want to build this Amazon business to where I have to have 50 products and, and grind and do 50. I literally have a couple products to half a million to a million a year. And I'm fine with that. Like that's all I needed because this was a supplemental income. It, it basically just was, do you want to live your life without working 50 hours a week? Yes. This is your lifestyle. This is your business. And it's been that way ever since day one, literally first year, I think I did uh, $380,000 and it's, it's done more every, every year since. And I've been able to pay myself from that business. I've never worried about money since it, the first thing I did was took a trip to Mexico with my wife and I'd never been to Mexico and she's, her family's from Mexico. So it, these are the kinds of things like build a lifestyle business where you don't have to work. I mean, I honestly will work less than five hours a week. And, and it's funny cause it's four hour work week. I mean, <laughs> I will spend less than one hour a day, Monday through Friday on my Amazon business. Because the first couple of months you'll spend, you know, six, seven hours a day trying to get it going. But then when you, once you get it going, you got a couple of products going, you're not spending that much time in it unless you're really, really motivated to scale it fast. But that wasn't the business I wanted to create. I wanted to create a lifestyle business where I truly had an income without busting my ass every single day. Because I'd done that for everybody that I ever worked for for years. And I know that's exactly how you felt. Yeah, I think as well, it's interesting because you kind of have you've had the opposite journey to a lot of people, right? So you actually worked in an Amazon business that was highly, well, you had to solve a massive problem and get it right back up there from day one. So you got, you went from zero to, you know, a hundred and well, 200 miles an hour, basically, right. In the space of a week. And so you were kind of thrust into that kind of high pressure environment from day one. And like, you know, with that kind of aggressive growth, right. And then you went, I don't want that life. Like (laughs) I can do it, but I don't want, yeah, exactly. And things can be simpler. Things don't have to be, I don't have, I don't need that much money. What I want, what's more important to me is the lifestyle. And I need enough money from that business to be able to give me the lifestyle. So I think it's kind of an interesting balance. Whereas most people come in, they start with the lifestyle, but then they actually overwhelm themselves by thinking they need this big thing. Yeah. So it's quite, it's quite an interesting what would you say? It's like an opposite reaction to what a lot of people have already 
Yeah, I mean, I just reverse engineered success, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But, you know, sometimes people don't get it until they've done it themselves because you feel like, you know, one thing that we always say, people see all these massive screenshots and they hear these awesome stories and, yeah, it's inspirational, like drive inspiration from it. But be careful what you wish for at the end of the day, right? Because if you've got this massive business, then there's lots of other shit that comes with it. And if you actually just boil it down to exactly what you want, usually what you really, what you say you want, you're going to get, but you actually have to be very clear about what you actually want, because then, you know, what's that saying? Be careful what you wish for kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like the old, old phrase, more money, more problems, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's, it's interesting. Like you say, I mean, you only have to work a few hours a week, make sure it's all, it's all ticking, ticking over that, that pays for you. Right. And then you get to do the cool stuff that you really want to do. Yeah. Uh, fight with people in pubs. No, um, <laughs> you know, do the coaching stuff that you really enjoy doing versus, yeah. you know, you don't need that to eat either. You've got your, you know, you've got the Amazon business there to, yeah. uh, fuel the lifestyle basically. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's been a couple of times when people have asked me like, well, how can you be a coach if you're not a, a million dollar seller every year or whatever? I'm like, I've already done that. Like, yeah. I know more about being successful on Amazon than most people will ever even know. Like I'll forget more about being successful than most people ever know. Let's put it that way. But they're like, well, don't you feel like you're a fraud? And I'm like, how could I feel like a fraud? I'm doing what you guys wish you could do, but you're so stressed out because you're trying to grow this business to like $10 million that you can't even enjoy the business. I'm enjoying the business. I'm living off of it. I get to do whatever I want. Tell me another person that does that freely. Not many. many. (laughs) So yeah, it's just the opposite. I mean, it's just from your point of view, how do you want to live your life? What's your, op- what's your idea of success? And the, obviously with our coaching business, it's, I, can, I can tell people from every perspective of the Amazon business, where do you want to be? What's your goal? How do you want this business to work for you? Do you want it to be an income driver or like a lifestyle driver? If you want it to be a lifestyle driver, maneuver it like this. If you want it to be an income driver, drive it like this. Yeah. And so the, the, you know, with both perspectives, it's a lot easier to see things clearly. Yeah. And I think, look, anybody can teach the ins and outs of an Amazon business, right? Like, you know, well, not anybody, but I know what you mean. No, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not <laughs> rocket science in terms of the, the which not, you know, what, what you need to do. But where the skill comes in is more about understanding what you need and then building it around that. And that is something that we are very focused on. We've, we've both had our journeys. They're different, right? We both want different things but we've built the businesses to be around those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, for you in particular, you, like I said, you, you, you had the accelerator, you know, flawed it from the beginning. And then now like you're, you know, you're just kind of tootling around on your bike and, and enjoying every minute of it. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's like early retirement, but still making money off of it. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> <laughs> on gardening leave. Yeah. Well, <laughs> saying that though, you've got a passion again, right? So you've got, one business that pays for your life, basically. And then obviously we've got the passion with the with the coaching that we do. Yep. And then you're also thinking about launching another business as well, right? Another yeah, Amazon exactly. business. Another brand. So I'm actually starting out with my wife. She got bored because she got furloughed during COVID-19. So we're starting another brand, which I'm even more passionate about than the first one. And yeah, I've, I've, I've got a, a business, like a paper plan for this thing to do, you know, that seven figure plus over the next couple of years. So um, I don't even care about the money with this business. It's literally just like, I'm doing it because I want these products myself. 
And I figure if I want the products myself, then other people will want them. So it's like, might as well start a business on it because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got different goals as well, right? And, you know, basically, uh, you know, just building a business to sell it, that's a different like mindset, a different perspective as well. And if you're not really that passionate about the one that you've already got, then why don't why don't you build another one that will actually give you that passion as well? Yeah, so exactly. that's cool. So is there anything else that you would like to add or any kind of advice that you want to give to people about the the Amazon business and how to be successful? Yeah, I think uh I think the the main thing that I always say is is you know confidence comes from experience. So if you're if you're not confident yet about what your decisions are and what the business is going to do, once you get the experience, uh it's going to be you, it's going to build your confidence, but you can't really get that right away. So don't be afraid of that lack of confidence or that lack of experience. It'll come. The idea here is that if you want to shortcut it, like work with people who know what they're doing already and and build that confidence because they're going to have the experience to like show you what to do. Um, you know, obviously you can, you can join a, a mentorship or whatever, but there's, there's many ways you can do it. But the idea here is that your confidence will stop your decisions and if you're stopping your decisions, you're ruining your business. And this is, uh, I think we had a, a person say this on a, a webinar like a couple of weeks ago or whatever. Um, they said, it, getting Kersey's insights and Isaac's confidence is really a bonus because I'm like, I never even really consider like, I, I know that I'm confident in what I do, but I'm, I never really try to portray a confidence. I don't, I don't try to, it's just, I guess people kind of pick that up. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, but I thought about that after they said that. And I was like, you know what? I, I never really truly lack confidence in making a decision. And that's the thing that I want most people to understand is, look, if you want your life to change, you have to start saying yes. So you have to have the confidence to say that, even if you're scared as crap to do it, or you can't, mm. you feel like you can't afford it. Like, like I said, when I was saying yes to my friends, even asking me just to go out for a beer, I was like, I can't afford it. But I still kept saying yes and still kept doing it because it got me into the place where I started making more positive and confident decisions. So just changing your daily habit of getting that confident decision going, anything you can do to do that will make you a more successful business person and it will actually get you to what you want in, in, in life, in what you desire. So stay committed, say yes, make those decisions and be confident that even when you're not confident that your experience will come later. And even if you make the bad, the wrong decision, you'll learn from it. It's not that you're going to fail from it. It's going to learn from it, Right. So well, I always say the only way you, the only way you can fail is by quitting. Yeah, and I truly believe that. Like you, you could never quit, or you can never fail if you don't quit. Yeah, true. And if you don't ever try anything, you know, you're just going to stay the same or go backwards, right? Yeah. And I think, like I think what you're saying as well is that it just fake the confidence. Right? <laughs> if you're not feeling it, just give yourself a challenge, like you did. You exactly. know, it's like all right, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say yes to everything. I think you said 12 months, right? You were like, I'm just gonna do it for 12 months and, and I still see. do it. I'm stupid. Like people yeah. <laughs> are like, hey, you wanna come to like Oklahoma for some reason. I'm like, sure. I yeah. still it's I don't do it for everything, but like for things where I should say no, a lot of times I'll just be like, Yeah, why not? Yeah. There's no real reason for me to say no to this. So yeah. why not? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So just just fake it. And I don't really like that phrase, fake it till you make it, but yeah. In this instance, it's more about just fake your own confidence yeah. and just push yourself because you'll be, you'll be surprised at how much you can actually achieve. And, you know, again, it comes back to this feeling of a ceiling, right? 
if you feel like, oh, I can't do that, I'm, you know, I can't, I can't be like that person or I'd never be able to do that. It's, it's only because you can't, only because you're telling yourself that you can't do yeah. it, which means that you never will, you'll never do it, right? So yeah. that's Limiting great beliefs will, will kill every dream. Yeah, exactly. So there you go, guys. Some awesome advice there from, from Isaac about just moving forward, basically. You know, have confidence in yourself. If you I mean, don't, it could be from, from working at Nike. Their catchphrase is just do it, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And now we've just put an F in there as well, right? So JFDI instead. (laughs) So I want to thank our very special guest, Isaac Coleman, for all his great insights and also obviously all his, you know, background knowledge on Amazon, being there before pretty much anyone else was there, right? You know, from the beginning. And if you like what you heard today on our show, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and also share our podcast with friends who might also get value out of it as well. Also, if you're looking for some free training, head to www.goteamreal.com to see our real Amazon training there. So see you on the next show and we wish the best for you and your business. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, Head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.